The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, we are approaching Halloween. Um, and, of course, we have, to do, we have to look at this holiday more carefully. Uh, you know, everyone thinks that Halloween is all about trick-or-treating and uh, putting on costumes and that it's just, you know, about how much candy you can get, basically. <laughs> but really, there, was a, there is, there, there has been um, a, a much more malevolent history about it. Its, its origin is much more malevolent. Um, in fact, it was called the Day of the Dead. Um, so we're going to be talking today with um, an author of a book um, that, in fact, explores some of these more malevolent spaces. Um, her name is Lisa collier Cool. She, she actually... Um, <laughs> I first met Lisa years ago when um, we collaborated on a book together, a best-selling book, Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. And um, she has also um, gone on or uh, before and after to be a best-selling author of five other books. Um, And she's the winner of 19 journalism awards for articles in America's popular publications and websites, including the Wall Street Journal, the Reader's Digest, Family Circle, Good Housekeeping, and dozens more. Um, one of the things I love about her background is that she was first published at age nine in Ladies' Home Journal. It was a letter to the editor. So, um, and since then, she's written more than one million words for America's leading magazines. Um, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. It's great to be on your show and to reconnect with you after working together in a book all those years ago. Yes. Now, to, before we get to um, the, Hall- the book that relates to Halloween, <laughs> um, I want to know what it was that you wrote, you felt so strongly about at age nine that you wrote a letter to the editor about it. Well, back at that time, Ladies Home Journal used to run fiction as well as articles. I read a story, and it was about a family and a child in a dramatic situation. I don't remember all the details of the story, but I really liked it, so I wrote them a letter, and I said, Dear Ladies Home Journal, I liked your story very much. I am nine years old. Love, Lisa. And they really liked that letter and published it. (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) Uh, 
I was well, so excited because they didn't tell me they were going to publish it. So a few months later, the magazine arrived. My mother was a subscriber. I was flipping through it, and I saw my letter, and I, I was just so thrilled. I thought, I want to see my name in print a lot more. Uh-huh, and that was the beginning. Yes, and, uh, you know, later on, Ladies Home Journal became one of the magazines I wrote for regularly, and they paid me that time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that reminds me, actually, I once wrote a letter to um, the company, uh, I forget which, it was a company that manufactured a bug spray that had an ad that you may remember, it was called, the ad said, the only good bug is a dead bug. Yeah. Do you remember that? It does seem and, familiar, and yeah. I, I had done, in fifth grade, I had done um, a science fair project, Backyard Insects and Butterflies, so I was very <laughs> upset about that, and I guess you could say that that laid the roots for my becoming an activist and a general pain in the ass for the rest of my life. Really, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, experiences seem to sh- shape us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, all right, let's talk before we get into well, the book we're going to be talking about um, that relates to Halloween. That, in fact, has its spookiest story, and it's and it starts with the story um, that relates to Halloween. The book is called "Deliver Us from Evil." Um, it was a mo- it was a, a movie in 2014. It originally was called Beware the Night, and then it was republished as Deliver Us from Evil, which was the name of the movie. And um, so, b- before we we get into that, though, um, why don't you tell us about the history of Halloween? I mean, because you know that I was talking about at the beginning that people don't really think about uh, when they're when they're gaily dancing around with their bags of candy. Well, I was actually surprised to learn it myself. I'm kind of a compulsive researcher. So when my book co-author told me that his the first case he wanted to write about took place on Halloween, I researched it and discovered that it is, according to 2,000-year-old legends, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a night when the spirits of the dead roam the earth intent on playing terrifying tricks and even taking possession of people because the legend was that these spirits were looking for a body to inhabit and the idea so people would try to appease them by leaving food offerings outside or even sacrificing animals feeling that um, well if they left something with the spirits the spirits would hopefully leave them alone and if they didn't uh, they could wear a mask and disguise themselves so maybe the spirits wouldn't recognize them and possess them. Yes, and it's interesting um, that we don't really hear very much. I mean, you know, the the importance of these of the costumes, um, you know, disguising themselves so they don't get possessed seems to have not become seems to have been lost um, as people are choosing their costumes now, and little kids are gaily walking around in costumes not really knowing that this came from trying to uh, disguise themselves. Quite, it's, it's quite surprising. I, I mean, it shows how far back in time, you know, ghosts, spirits, legends, and I guess they were kind of like the zombies of the day, um, you mm. know, looking for people to attack. Yes, yes, that's true. We do have a fascination with that these days. All right, well, let's take us, instead of just looking at the book and the movie and all of that story um, in itself, what I think would very much interest my listeners is how you, 
as someone who was quite skeptical. After all, mostly you were writing books on self-help and books on health and all of that good stuff. And um, then you were approached by your co-author, uh, Ralph Sarchi, a, to, um, to write a book about the supernatural and ghosts and exorcisms and all of that evil stuff. So tell us how that came about and how you felt and how, you know, your skepticism played out. Well, initially um, I was approached by my literary agent, Jimmy Vines, who told me that he'd, he'd read a newspaper story about Ralph, um, this New York City cop in one of the, in a um, precinct that's been called the most dangerous square mile in the United States, working the midnight shift there and how Ralph, despite uh, the horrors of working in the South Bronx, considered his other work, namely helping people with issues of demonic possession, to be the more dangerous, and he called it busting the devil. So um, anyway, my agent had read about him and contacted Ralph who learned, and learned that Ralph did want to write a book and could use some help, so he connected us. Um, which wasn't probably the most obvious choice since I said I was primarily focusing on psychology and health at that time. But I met with him, and I told him straight out that, A, not a Catholic like him, but a Protestant, and secondly, that I'm highly skeptical about the supernatural, and if that was going to be a problem, then we couldn't work together but he stated that he felt that was actually good because I could kind of, uh, if you will, play devil's advocate in terms of what readers might be skeptical about and help him present it. However, uh-huh. as we worked together, I did find that my views changed over time as I got involved with um, coming with him on some investigations and even attending an actual exorcism. Well, um, I guess, so at the beginning, was he, did he, had he been keeping a diary of his work? Um, um, it wasn't people? a diary. He kept uh, video and audio tapes of his cases to document what the people told him and um, what occurred during his investigations. So that's so what he gave So we worked with you. that, plus he had... Um, notes and such, but it was mainly uh, these recorded materials. So, okay, so what was the first um, case? Was the first case that you worked on this Halloween case? Yes. Um, okay. we, call, we called it the Halloween Horror because um, it took place. He was actually contacted about the case on Halloween about a Westchester family that w- had become... Kind of, um, they were living in a state of terror in their home such that the whole family was huddled in the living room and they were terrified to go anywhere in their own home alone. So they were all, you know, wanted to go to the bathroom or take a shower. They'd all be cooping along because they were being attacked, scratched, um, pushed, and pounded by uh, evil spirits. Uh huh. But the the strange, even stranger twist about their case was that the uh, spirits which my co-author identified as being demonic were pretending to be ghosts that needed help. So on Halloween, the spirits were 
disguising themselves by posing as these ghosts who had a problem. In that house, the daughter was um, engaged, she married, and this ghost appeared, I'm putting quotes around ghost, appeared to the mother and stated that she was, appeared to her in a cloud of smoke and that took the form of a woman and said that uh, her name was Virginia and she was the spirit of a murdered bride-to-be and she needed the, the mom's help, uh, which started a, quite a kind of reign of terror for this family, kind of like these police case where a guest comes to stay at someone's home and then becomes kind of a bully and takes over the home and the people suddenly find themselves sort of prisoned by the alleged guest. Mm-hmm. So the mom and um, another family member became fascinated by this ghost tales and they started spending all the time like trying to investigate that this ghost had supposedly died in 1901 and um, was named Virginia Clark, and so they start looking through the library and trying to find stuff, which they don't really find too much, but they are sort of led to this graveyard to look for a certain grave, and anyway, this ghost seemed to have a great deal of demands, <laughs> and got them, drew them in with this mystery, and then um, started warning them that there were other bad spirits in the home, which she, the nice ghost, was going to help them with. Huh. Anyway, their tale uh, escalated from there. It was really, uh, it was incredibly fascinating, the different twists and turns their their story took. Well, now, what's interesting is how the ghosts, um, or that ghost anyway, well, I guess ghosts in general, apparently, um, use psychology. Like, I know you wrote that, um, she picked that story, Virginia, Virginia the ghost, picked the story of the being a, a bride who was murdered um, on her wedding day by her fiancé uh, because she knew, and asking for help, because she knew that since there was a daughter in that house who was about to be a bride, that they would be more interested and more eager to help. So, the, the, I mean, the idea of ghosts using psychology... <laughs> Uh, that's, it's very that's quite true. It was one of the most fascinating things, how these evil spirits really have a knowledge of, you know, how to hook people and what will get their attention and and even make them overlook the contradictions, like this spirit's supposedly so helpful, but she keeps sort of, you know, seizing this woman and speaking through her lips and putting her in a trance while she's being scratched and beaten up. Well, now, um, before we get on with the story, so you first found out about this Halloween horror um, from from notes or a tape, or how did you first get uh, introduced to it? Ralph had a tape recording of his uh, investigation, which had occurred before I became involved with the book. So uh, basically, I listened to the various uh, tape recordings he had, and then uh, he explained to me the different aspects of the case and how to interpret them. Okay, so as you were listening, were you thinking, um, oh, this is, you know, this can't be true, or, I mean, what, when did you, I mean, did you say to him, 
maybe the family's maybe there's a reason why this family is making it up. They're, they want attention or something. I did ask him that. Um, I, I also asked him how does he decide. Many many people contact him, and how does he decide? You know, if the people are crazy or their mm-hmm. case is genuine. Yeah. And he has encountered a number of cases where he concluded that it was just mental illness at work. Um, he basically, being a traditionalist Catholic, the ones who use the pre-Vatican II Latin Mass, um, he looks upon it from a religious perspective, <clears throat> and he has several several clues that distinguish between ghosts and demons, ghosts being the spirits of dead people and demons being supernatural spirits from hell. Hmm. And one of the big differences that he's told me about is that ghosts, ghosts only have the power to move extremely light objects such as a pen. So if the people have a situation where, say, furniture is being thrown around, that is not a ghost no matter what the spirit may claim to be. Hmm. Um, so he examines, he examines that, and he basically, drawing on his more than 20 years in the New York City police force, where he made over 300 arrests, he interviews the people to evaluate their credibility. Since he doesn't charge anything for his services, of course, everybody feels free to contact him about anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's just highly selective about it and um, has a team of investigators who work with him, and they assess the different phenomena, and they use a number of... At that time, he was not using them, but today he uses a number of different technologies that are used by parapsychologists that uh, check for certain... um, I don't feel I can adequately explain how these devices work, but they check for supernatural things such as energy waves and photograph items like balls of light. So they basically look to see if they themselves are noticing any of these symptoms of demonic activity mm-hmm. as, so, as one of the criteria, which uh, <laughs> Ralph himself had supernatural experiences in that home. Okay. Okay. So, so as you're reading this, so what are you thinking when you are listening to the tapes? Oh, <laughs> well, well, now we have to take a break. But okay, wait. I was pretty skeptical wait. and suspecting you, you these what? people. Initially, I was very skeptical and suspecting that these people probably did have mental problems. Although Ralph himself, I find extraordinarily credible. He is has an incredible passion for wanting to help people, and he is a very devout Catholic, although as he himself would say, he has a lot of rough edges. Uh-huh. You know, you don't, you're not a cop the midnight tour in the South Bronx because you're just such a nice, pleasant person. Right. But we need <laughs> to take a, a break now. cop if that's your personality. Uh, ben we- Carson would not do well in that job. No, don't think so. Um, Okay, we need to take a break. Um, My guest is Lisa Collier-Cool. We're talking about Halloween and um, the evils that lurk there (laughs) And, and, uh, and in real life as well. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about Halloween and um, how... It's not all. It's not just about candy. Uh, in fact, it used to be called the Day of the Dead. Um, my guest is Lisa Collier Cool. She is the best-selling author of six books, winner of nineteen journalism awards, and the book that we're particularly um, focusing on tonight, today, is Deliver Us from Evil, which um, she wrote with a co-author Ralph Sarchi, and uh, which was a mo- major motion picture in 2014. So, Lisa, we were right, you know, we were just, we were talking about uh, Deliver Us From Evil and about um, how your skepticism and how you sort of uh, gradually went from skeptic to believer. And so tell us about that journey and particularly about how um, one of the, I guess, most convincing things was when you went on some of these um, what would you... Uh, investigations, sweetie. Investigations. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Yourself with him. Yes, it was quite a remarkable experience. Um, Ralph is, at that time, was both a NYPD police sergeant in the South Bronx by night and by day a supernatural investigator, um, which he did out of religious conviction and not for pay. So he took me on some cases. Uh, so in one case, we went to a house in Staten Island where they were reporting a lot of um, supernatural activity. And one of the things he does, he and his SJs do, is actually walk through the whole house and kind of search it to see if there's anything that might help explain what's going on. So we went through the house and we went into a certain room, which was the teenage daughter's bedroom. Well, first of all, it was painted blood red. And anyway, the room was incredibly oppressive. Like, it was very hot in there, and you felt like the ceiling was closing in on you. And the room just had, like, not just the wall color, but a horrible vibe about it. And when we searched through the room under the bed, we found several books about 
Satan and Satanism and um, witchcraft. And uh, we, I mean, I really, you know, rarely feel I've been in a room that had such a oppressive quality, like you just wanted to, you know, run out of the room. It was so horrible. So that was the first time I personally experienced anything out of the ordinary. On some other cases, um, there was a house that had a lot of... Oh, oh, wait, wait. Let's not leave that yet. Because, okay. I, 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 you know, like I was noticing in, this, in the Halloween horror story that we were starting to talk about, um, that when he went looking around the house, he found some rooms that were painted black. Now, so what do you make of that? I mean, it almost seems like these people... Like, why do they paint their rooms red or black and, and have books about Satan and so on? It almost seems as though they're inviting in evil spirits. Well, that's actually one of the main reasons that, in the cases Ralph dealt with, that the people have problems in the first place. Many of them let evil into their lives through things like um, following satanic practices, um, playing with Ouija boards, and other activities that they think, you know, might be sort of harmless fun and uh, end up drawing the forces to them. Although, as we talk about in the book, sometimes the people did not do anything to draw evil to them, and Ralph has a theory that some houses, he puts it, are like Venus flytraps there, just lurking there for the unwary and... Therefore, good people could be attacked, too. But one of the reasons he checks out the whole house is to try to find any clues as to why these people might be having a problem. And in this house, it was pretty clear that the problem was the teen daughter. In the other case, the room that was painted black, that belonged to a former uh, tenant of the house who uh, sort of left under strange circumstances and was later found to have a criminal record and be a thoroughly bad guy. Hmm. So Ralph felt that, uh, you know, the painted black room might be part of the explanation as to why these problems had occurred in the Westchester Mm -hmm. house. Mm Mm-hmm. So, okay, talking about playing devil's advocate. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Um, You know, Ralph is very religious, Catholic, very, but super religious Catholic. And, um, couldn't one say that this is about um, that, that that really there are no demons or ghosts, but that people people are doing bad things? You know, like let's say the teen girl. I don't know that story, so let's say she was using drugs or having promiscuous sex or something. Um, and so, so I know that the idea is that that's what draws the, these demons. At least I think that's the idea, but but couldn't isn't that maybe just a metaphor for the fact that these are bad people, so you know, so-called bad people, and that and that he's really just um, getting rid of instead of giving, getting rid of demons, getting rid of the things in the person that's making them bad. Well, his view is that some people invite the demonic into their life, but. It's almost like a drug addiction if the people aren't ready to give it up and they're going to keep on inviting these forces back into their life over and over. There's nothing you could do. Like if this teen girl, for example, wouldn't 
renounce Satanism and attend church, then Ralph would tell his family, look, there's nothing we can do to help you because, Mm. uh, you know, your problem's going to keep on doing it. You need the spiritual equivalent of rehab. (laughs) Well, okay, well, is that what did happen in that case? In that particular case, um, we were not able to... uh, Ralph concluded that... um, the family simply was not ready for our help because this girl was, um, you know, very defiant and not cooperative. So if, you know, she didn't want to be rid of the demonic forces, Ralph's uh-huh. kind of good luck with that and call me when you're serious. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. So um, we were not, um, so he was, he has a ritual he conducts in the home to, get rid of evil spirits, but if the conditions aren't right, his view is it's pointless, and Mm. we just have to tell the people, you know, try to get right with God, and, you know, if if and when you're ready, you know, we might come back. Uh Uh-huh. So, um... So is that technique that you're talking about, are you talking about an an exorcism or something else? Uh, It is a type of exorcism. It's an exorcism... There's two kinds. One is of a home to rid it of evil spirits, and another is the exorcism of a person such as, you know, people have seen in the famous movie The Exorcist or The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he uses a minor form of exorcism um, from the Catholic Church uh, where it involves basically going throughout the house with, um, he has a, fragment of the true cross that he says is his equivalent of a cop's gun, mm-hmm. and he uses um, holy incense, ho- holy water, he performs prayers loudly throughout the house in a very aggressive, dominating manner that is known as spiritual provocation. Hmm. Hmm. And it provokes the demons and uh, orders them very forcefully in the name of Jesus Christ to leave the house. And uh, in, in the Halloween case, uh, when that occurred, when the spirits left the house, all the dogs in the neighborhood started howling. Huh. So, <laughs> now, were you there at that time, or that was before uh, that you? Was, no, that was the case before I started the book. But, yeah. Um, I did attend an actual exorcism that is described in the book that occurred at Our Lady of the Rosary Church in Connecticut, which was really frightening, Carol. Uh, The person who was undergoing exorcism was a woman, and at a certain point during the exorcism, which was all done in Latin, she starts, they tie her to the chair because sometimes people become very violent, and she starts speaking in this low voice of a man and saying the most frightening things um, like I took her because she was too good uh, I'm not going to let go of her um, things like that hmm so it was the demon inside of her yes exactly and the, you know it's like this epic battle between this elderly bishop and uh this woman, um, you know, speaking this terrible voice. So, uh, 
you know, you definitely would think differently, Carol, if you had been there. Well, so at the end of it, she she seemed relieved and cured. Uh, that particular person not cured, but I have watched. It went on for a few hours, and uh, although uh, the woman subsided some, um, she was not free to the spirit, and they were going to try again on a different occasion. It's not always successful, but in a different exorcism, um, which was very violent, the man actually broke free of you know the restraints and pulled the church pew out of huh. its moorings, um, ultimately huh. that one was successful. <laughs> wow. Yeah, was, <laughs> I mean, he, you know, this sort of ordinary middle-aged guy suddenly became possessed of, so to speak, of seemingly super, supernatural strength when, you know, he's writhing around and this entire church pew comes out of the floor. Huh. So, okay, so as you were attending more of these things, that's when your skepticism started giving way? Yes, exactly. There was another time at a house in New Jersey where I actually saw one of these balls of light that uh, Ralph talks about in the book Mm -hmm. uh, go by outside the window. I mean, I can't say for sure what it was, but it was very strange. Hmm. You know, one of the... sort of glowing ball that it was night. I was looking out the window and also I see this glowing circular object whiz by. The house that, that, that was supposed to have been haunted. Exactly. In that particular house, um, the exorcism ritual was successful and the family reported feeling a, you know, feeling of peace and after it's concluded. So, okay, so do you think that um, <laughs> that um, people like Ralph, um, I guess, I don't know whether to call it, like people who do these exorcisms, um, uh, are they sort of, it almost seems like they're, they're, they're being psychiatrists in a sense, you know, that they're getting, that they're getting the evil out of the house out of the people, I mean, you know, I mean, it's the house and the people, but yes. the environment and the people, um, and uh, like in the form of these of these demons, but really it's, uh, well, either a, a psychiatrist or a priest. I mean, I guess he is being, the way he's doing it is, is from a religious perspective, of course, but uh, it, I mean, it's just, it, it's an interesting um, I don't know, blend of of like curing people, like you were just saying that that house was uh, relieved of its of its demons. But but maybe if they had had a psychiatrist in there for a, for a week, uh, the demons would have gone away. Well, I think there's actually a lot of analogies between what Ralph's doing and psychiatry or medicine, in the sense that. Uh, this is, seems to be affliction that has certain symptoms that are identified. Uh, incidentally, there are you know, de- demons in every religion, whether it's Islam or Judaism or Christianity. It's not just unique to Christians. Mm. But anyway, there are certain symptoms that, of demonic activity. It seems to have different 
stages from infestation where the people are noticing strange goings on in the house to oppression where things are worse to possession where the spirit takes possession of the person. So it seems to have symptoms, it seems to have stages, and there's also a treatment, namely uh, these different rituals of prayer. Mm-hmm. So I feel there's a... So the prescription of what, how to cure what ails a person is, of course, dramatically different than psychiatry, but uh, it's a different type of talking cure that involves prayer. <laughs> hmm. Well, I would imagine, though, that it's really, have you, did you, as you were writing this book, did you come across people um, who were phonies, um, like who were, I know you said that he tries to weed them out, but did you see either, either people who were claiming to be possessed, who were really using that, who either were mentally ill or who were using that as an excuse, like to get attention, uh, like a wife getting attention from a husband who isn't paying attention to her, or, um, or a child? There were some people who were you know, mentally ill and craving attention. One man had uh, you know, quite a harrowing story, but then when Ralph actually came to his house to try to help him, he's wearing uh, some kind of strange bathrobe and pajamas and ranting about all sorts of conspiracies. Um, so it was apparent that, you know, his pro- he had a lot of problems, but they weren't the type that Ralph addresses. Uh-huh. I mean, it goes the other way, too, and and I wonder what Ralph has to say about, like, people who pretend to be exorcists um, and advertise, or by word of mouth, they go around, they say they're performing exorcisms, and it's really just made up. It's a scam to get money. Absolutely. Um, Ralph and I both feel there's a lot of, uh, you know, phony people involved in so-called parapsychology that take advantage of people or just want to have attention and publicity for their work and aren't really concerned about helping the people that just want to find, you know, a sort of a promotable case where they can be on the media or, you mm-hmm. know, aggrandize themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the thing that's impressed me the most about Ralph is how he is incredibly sincere and he not only doesn't take a penny from these people, but he spends his own money to, and he's by no means rich, to, you know, go to their houses and uh, do his utmost to help them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we need to take another break. This is all really fascinating. My guest is Lisa collier Cool. We're talking about Halloween and the Day of the Dead um, and demons and so on. <laughs> That's what I'll call this, demons and candy. <laughs> uh, I was looking for an appropriate title. Um, we'll, we do have to take a break now, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today about Halloween demons and candy (laughs) with my guest, um, the best-selling author, Lisa Collier Cool. We're talking in particular about her book and movie, Deliver Us from Evil. Um, and, you know, during the break, Lisa was mentioning about how uh, one of the cases dealt with uh, sexuality, and I, I actually wanted to ask you about that. Like, some of the exorcisms certainly do seem like uh, there is a very... Uh, it almost seems like, um, like intercourse, like these priests um, or whoever is doing the exorcism are... Are having a kind of sexual, um, I don't know, consummating something sexually with the person who they're supposed to be exercising. Well, I'm not sure if I would agree with that specific analogy, but um, in working with Ralph on our book, Delivers from Evil, we did, uh, Ralph has investigated a few different cases that involve. Um, so-called incubus attacks um, in which women were sexually attacked by demons as one of the um, ways that they were oppressed. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as I was discussing, there was um, three different stages of demonic activity, uh, the first being infestation where um, sort of low-level things happen, the proverbial bump in the night, doorknobs rattling, growling, strange things happen, but at kind of a lower level. And then the second stage is oppression, where everything intensifies and the people are subjected to uh, physical, psychological, and even sexual attacks by the demons. So in the case that you were alluding to, uh, the Maryland case, um, four women were... Well, a young woman um, was living in a house, and one of the and things had reached the point of oppression. One of the ways she was oppressed was this demon was actually coming to her bed and uh, sexually attacking her. Hmm. Now, how did okay? How did did you go on that um, case? Uh, this was another one I um, saw the videotapes of. Okay. So, so how did the book um, I met Ralph. And what? I'm sorry. 
uh, a number of the cases, most of the cases of the book occurred before I met Ralph. So uh-huh. I reconstructed them from interviewing him and these videos and audio recordings. Okay. So how did he determine that this was true? Uh, basically, Ralph um, uses uh, religious criteria and um, assesses... I mean, in this particular case of the woman in Maryland who thought she was being sexually um, attacked, I guess, by, by a demon. How, like, for example, because that would be... That could be like a hysterical... That would, the, the differential diagnosis would be um, a woman who was hysterical you know, who had a histrionic personality disorder and wanted to attract men, wanted to feel that she was desirable to men and sort of imagined, um, not necessarily to the point of psychosis, but kind of imagined that someone was, a, was sexually um, get, attacking her or having sex with her um, because she wanted that to happen. Well, another related phenomena is, I'm trying to think of the name of it, there's also a sleep disorder where people um, don't make a good transition from being asleep to awake, and so they don't sort of wake up all the way, and they have a feeling of being held down or pressure Uh or even suffocation, which um, has some of the similar symptoms. Uh Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, the answer to your question ultimately is it comes down to a judgment call on the part of Ralph as to whether he finds the people credible or not. And, you know, I think, I mean, I don't think I can give you a perfect answer because somebody could possibly fool Ralph, but um, he has been doing this for a long time. And No, I'm just wondering, though, how he, I mean, like, um, are, are are there certain particular, I mean, it's just a general sense of, of uh, you know, of course, of, as a police, a policeman, you do need to be able to hone your sense of which people are credible and, you know, um, and which aren't. But um, I just wondered if there was any, like, for example, if she told him certain things about the demon who was attacking her, would he be able to tell that, that that's not actually what demons are like? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, for, for example, um, when demonic spirits appear to people, they typically have some sort of abnormality of appearance. So they don't look exactly... Like a ghost might look exactly like a person, whereas a demonic spirit might have uh, something sort of wrong with it. Like uh, one example was... One had no feet, or the spirit I mentioned before who appeared as a smoke that took the form of a woman, but only from the waist up. So abnormalities of appearance are one of the characteristics. Uh-huh. He also you know, carefully looks for why it is that a demon might be attracted to these people in the first place, like, you know, what are, what are they up to, and... You know, what are their religious beliefs? Uh-huh. Or are they... Um, one debunker, by the way, in this Maryland case, did tell these women, did, suggested these women are just uh, sexually frustrated. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's um, essentially. Ralph said, well, would you tell a teenage girl who reported that she had been date raped that she probably was just asking for it? <laughs> I mean, nobody else was there, so... (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) That's a little different, but no. (laughs) Well, okay. Um, So what are things that people can should do. <laughs> What's the take-home message from all of this besides to buy your book? And I'll give some information about that before the, we close. Um, but what's the take-home message? Like, uh, what can people do to try to prevent being infested, having an infestation of demons? And then what can they do to um, once they think they have them? Okay, um I mean, basically what Ralph would tell people is, which she doesn't say you have to be of any specific religion. He believes people should do whatever is advised by their own religion to, you know, to lead a virtuous life, uh, number one. And number two, that, uh, which would include attending worship. And secondly, to avoid any dabbling in the occult, whether it's uh, using a Ouija board or um, uh, participating in um, uh, tarot card reading or other sort of quasi-spiritual hmm. practices. Hmm. And uh, some of the people, you know, it just seemed to be very bad luck in terms of which house they bought, um, but which not much you can do about that. But once people, you know, do notice a problem, um, Ralph would strongly advise him not to try to talk to ghosts or listen to their sob story about how, you know, they're the spirit of a murdered bride that urgently needs their help or whatever their story might be because he, these are basically, they're basically like con men that take advantage of us. So he doesn't believe in giving them recognition. He feels that if you notice something out of the ordinary, you should command it to leave in the name of Jesus Christ or, according to your religion, whatever is the recommended practice. And Mm -hmm. if things continue to be a problem, then one should consult a minister or priest about the best next steps. You know, he doesn't... I mean, it's not like he's saying, you know, call me Ralph about it. He's urging people to try to address this within the parameters of their religion. And Mm -hmm. hopefully that'll solve their problem. You know, it would be good if he made some kind of a uh, Rolodex (laughs) um, uh, to a, a list, you know, a directory of people, or maybe he has done this already, of, of, of what, um, honest people who are doing the kinds of things that he does, you know, people who do, don't take money or aren't trying to scam you or, you know, um, so that he could refer people to them since obviously he can't do all of it himself. He always urges people to start by working with um, the clergy of their religion. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, getting back to the Halloween story, so um, just to make it clear, so so that Virginia, 
what the, uh, the purpose of Virginia's sob story was to break down the, um, to make the person, the mother in this case, and then the, what was it, the aunt or another, another woman in the house, yes. uh, to make them doubt themselves and, in a sense, to make them go crazy so that then they would be more vulnerable to being possessed. Exactly. Basically, the demonic behave kind of like, you know, abusive partners where they break down the person's will and make them doubt themselves and um, comply with the abuser's reality. And that's exactly what happened to these women to the point where um, Virginia, I mean, I'm sorry, the mother was allowing the spirit to, quote, enter her so it could speak through her which the spirit was paving the way to try to possess this woman, where she's thinking of um, helping this poor murdered bride-to-be whose husband was falsely accused of killing her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when, okay, and when the demons possess a person, what do they get out of it? What, is that what, they use that form to then do mischief? Uh, basically, yes. I mean, they want to possess the person and take their soul so that it can't go to God you know, in the afterlife. So, so that the demon can go to God? No, I mean, in other words, the demon wants to possess the person, break their will, and ultimately get their soul so it's consigned to hell instead of heaven. I see, I see. Huh. Okay, that's scary. <laughs> and it just does it for its own pleasure. I don't agree with that. I mean, it would have to... No, I'm asking. Why? No, no the... I mean, basically, uh, people have free will, and God wants people to choose him and not evil. And it, um, I mean, religion would teach that uh, people are tested and uh-huh. that this is part of it. I see. I see. Well, that makes sense. All right. Well, now that I'm sure you've piqued everybody's interest... Um, what is, how would you like people to um, find your book and buy your book? Uh, the book, Deliver Us From Evil, is available on both Amazon and Barnes & Noble, as well as through bookstores. Um, and it's, it's available in paperback. The edition is a movie edition, so I'd like them to check it out. Also, my co-author, Ralph Sarchi, has a new show airing Sunday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, called The Demon Files. Okay, that's perfect. And if you'd like to check out Lisa's site, it's lisacolliercool.com. Lisa, L-I-S-A, Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R, cool, as in she's really cool, (laughs) (laughs) dot com. Okay, Lisa, it was great having you on. This, This really all sounds so intriguing um, and so psychologically um, interesting, you know, that there's so many these metaphors and parallels and all of that. So thank you very much for being on the show, Lisa Collier-Cool, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, that's host, not ghost, <laughs> Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you, Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 